to Embracing the Journey, a program focused on the freedom that comes from being able to talk about death. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank. Our topic today is choosing your power of attorney and what we need to know about that. My guest is elder law attorney and past board president of Hospice of the Foothills, as well as an avid horsewoman, Valerie Logston. Welcome, Valerie. Hi, Lori. I'm grateful to be here. Well, thank you so much. And at the, before we get started into the work that, that you do, Valerie, can you tell us a little bit about what attracted you to this field? Because on this program, we talk openly about death. And I'm sure as an elder law attorney that you are talking to your clients regularly about facing something we will all face. Um, do you have any personal experience that drew you into this particular field? Uh, so in terms of managing when someone is incapacitated, I had a grandmother that was paralyzed for the last 17 years of her life. She lived in um, Phoenix, Arizona. And I, you know, as a teenager, I saw all the issues that would come up with having caregivers and dealing with paralysis and the ability for my grandmother to actually stay at home. Um, so when I became an attorney in 92, um, I did a stint doing other things and then I came and I circled around and realized that I wanted to do something that really helped people. And um, at that time I was living in the Bay Area and started work in the year 2000, working as an elder law attorney. And it's, it's really grateful because I can literally see the loads coming off of people's shoulders from my advice, my help with them. I help some people with Medi-Cal. I get things, you know, I have 50-year-olds who have a diagnosis of dementia and they're getting their team together. And so I can help create their team. And so when someone proactively acts to look at the situation, um, they can figure out the best means so that their estate, their well-being can be managed by somebody else. And um, so luckily, my grandmother had capacity throughout her life um, and didn't need to be conserved or didn't need to have a power of attorney. But there were issues. I mean, for instance, I remember, sorry for this, but I remember my grandmother appointed this neighbor as power of attorney. And this person thought she owned my grandmother and this woman put somebody in the house and this person in the house who wasn't the power of attorney put um toxic material around my grandmother's house um and it was just really bizarre so the elders are very frail or very vulnerable and you just really want to make sure you have the right person in the right position well, that definitely uh, ties into the career path you chose. And an elder law attorney, is that a, a newer specialty or has that always been a, a specialty in the legal world? It is a newer specialty. Um, there are other states that have that as a practice. Um, basically, an elder law attorney does the normal estate planning, wills and trusts. Um, 
but they're geared to pe- to really uh, I, figuring out what happens when someone doesn't have capacity. So powers of attorney, you try and avoid conservatorship, paying for long-term care. Those are the issues that um, are specialized for an elder law attorney. So um, at what age is it appropriate to, to consult an elder law attorney? Do you have to be well, a certain age? You would want to make sure that your estate planning is um, done. By the time that you're over 21, you want a healthcare directive in place. Um, actually, it's over 18 in California. Um, once you own real estate, the, um, the it's really significant you, um, to have a trust in place because you can never tell if two people are joint tenancy, who's the first to go, or if they both um, graduate from this plane of existence together. And so if you, um, it's really important to have a trust to manage things. Um, and in terms of the age, it really depends upon assets. And to be honest, every single person who breathes has a expiration date. You know, um, in planning, one hopes for the best and plans for the worst, which is the well spouse passes first, and then the person who has the disability is there without the support. Um, so these type of issues need to be thought of. So. Uh, what key areas do we need to plan for as we age or face a terminal illness? Um, we're, this is about being a power of attorney, but as we were talking earlier, you said there's different types of power of attorneys. Right. So an advanced health care directive, which you've spoken about in the past, is a um, power of attorney direct about health care decisions. A financial power of attorney is for finances, your bank's signing contracts, um, um, things of that nature. So finance, um, and there are two types of financial power of attorney. One is effective immediately, and one is effective upon incapacity. And most powers of attorney that I create are what's called the springing powers of attorney, which are in effect only after two doctors have determined that someone lacks capacity and therefore needs assistance with managing their finances. So Valerie, if um, let's say it's you have a loved one that is in your life and you do, you are listed on their advanced directive, but not as power of attorney of their finances. And for some reason they become incapacitated in, in maybe a, uh, temporary way, uh, you know, something as serious as a coma or um, a hospitalization where they just are not in a position to take care of their financial responsibilities. Would that uh, be a time where that would be activated, where somebody could help pay bills and, and take care of financial responsibilities? If someone has a power of attorney for finances in in place at that time, yes, you would get two doctors' declarations that say that this person is no longer able to manage, and then you can take the original document to a bank. 
and then the the bank will uh, honor that power will should honor that power of attorney and then if that person recovered they could they could uh they would no longer need that support at that time so with that all is that written up that way or do they lose it and then they have to to advocate to get their full responsibilities back it's all about relationships, Lori. You know, I mean, if somebody has a child and or in your situation, you're the niece um, and someone is taking care of business and then the person can take care of business later, then the, the child normally says, OK, mom or uncle, you go and um, you can manage it from now on. But a power of attorney is in place. So if you need it, um, it doesn't mean that the per the original person can't manage their affairs. It just means that the another person is helping to manage their affairs. So do we all need to have a power of attorney? If you have money and could potentially have a stroke, yes, you need the power of attorney. I have a power of attorney. My niece is an attorney is my power of attorney. <laughs> So but, within the family, and, and that's a, a question too. Um, what if there isn't somebody obvious for the job? And you were talking about your grandmother who selected a neighbor, probably because family was far away at that time. Um, so what what are the qualities that someone should look for as a, in their power of attorney? You would want someone who has the ability, who's responsible, which means that has the ability to respond. Um, you want someone that is financially um, aware, that is not financially needy. I mean, you don't want someone that needs your money to be managing your money because that's an easy way for it to start to disappear. Um, and the power of attorney is a fiduciary, meaning they're acting on behalf of the principal, the person who wrote the power of attorney up. They are like, for instance, so the, the person acting can't um, do things for their own benefit. They're only supposed to do it for the uh, principal's benefit. How do you find a person for the job? Um, if you don't have a relative that doesn't fit those criteria, you may want to interview other people that are that have a job of being a professional fiduciary. And that's a person who um, manages other people's money. And um, if there isn't an obvious person for the job, it's better to nominate somebody than no one. Um, if you don't have anyone managing and you get into the hospital, skilled nursing, or perhaps are um, um, experiencing elder abuse, um, the county gets involved. And then the county will manage, will create a conservatorship and manage your affairs for you. And... Um, you don't want, that's a thing, that's a situation to avoid. Absolutely. And, and you're listening to Embracing the Journey on KBMR. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank, and my guest is elder law attorney, Valerie Logston. And we're talking about choosing your power of attorney. And so we are talking a little bit about um, 
the downside here of selecting someone who might not have our interests at heart, uh, and you had mentioned that um, you know what to look for in in selecting our power of attorney, and just so we we kind of run the gamut. Um, you mentioned financial abuse. If you pick the wrong power of attorney, uh, what kind of uh, is there a way to to stop that? Especially if you're if somebody is rather incapacitated, uh, and you mentioned um, you know elder abuse. What what is elder abuse, and how did how is it recognized? Well, basically, someone using someone else's money for their own benefit is elder is one type of elder abuse that we're talking about now. Um, if let's say a no, neighbor note, uh, so somebody has to notice that this money is missing, maybe a bank, bank is a uh, bank officer, a bank teller is a uh, mandatory reporter. They would report to the county, oops, there's a problem here. This, this person's getting 20,000 out of this account and I don't think it's going to um, our, our customer. Um, then the county would get involved and do an investigation. Um, if the person has enough wherewithal to understand that the money's disappearing, um, they would, um, they can always revoke the power of attorney. Now, one of the things you have to realize is, you know, parents are making these decisions and they knew, they know by this time who their kids are. And you know, some people say, well, I should do my number, you know, my firstborn as my first agent. Um, no, because sometimes the firstborn is the one that's not uh, reliable or, or financially needy. And you'd want to have someone who doesn't need your money to be your power of attorney. Um, you want, um, and maybe um, you have two people be power of attorney. I mean, um, the, the, so you could have that job shared among two people. Yes, that can happen. Banks hate that's that. A, Banks oh, they hate, I, do not like that. I can imagine that it complicates things, but it is kind of a checks and balances situation. What I recommend um, is if someone has a bank account and they're like 85, 90 years old, they would have a child who has the ability to go online and look at their account make sure that they are, um, that there's no problems. So you could have someone monitor your accounts, uh, a backup person. Um, and then, you know, I mean, fraud is, you know, jail time. So, you know, depending upon how much money, you know, most people though do the right thing from my perspective. Well, and I did want to, you know, allow us to, to go to the downside, the dark side of power of attorney. But where I really want to focus the rest of, of our talk here is about the, the positive, the, the um, ease that it brings to people, especially as we face the end of our life in, in making our lives easier and having developed these plans ahead of time. Um, so by, by having a power of attorney, um, what are, especially maybe somebody's not fully incapacitated, but life has just gotten harder and they want, um, they don't want to be asked about hospital bills or doctor bills while 
they're ill. Uh, so what, what all can power of attorney do to support the person uh, that, that's appointed them? So basically, the, the let's call it, let's pretend it's a mother and a, and a child. Um, we'll say a mother and a son, because usually the daughters are appointed. But um, the mother and the son would have to go to the bank, and the son would be put on title to the bank as power of attorney. Then the son would be able to write checks on that account. Now, it's account specific. So if they have a Bank of America in which they account where they've gone to and they have a Tri-Counties account, that will not take um, have any effect unless mom and son go to Tri-Counties and get their name put on the checking account. Um, and if um, so the son then can manage for that person's benefit. And maybe let's say the mom needs to um, go move into uh, this, one of our wonderful assisted living facilities, Atria um, Escaton, and doesn't have the capacity to contract for that. The son can sign on behalf of mom so that there's a legally binding contract. And maybe mom needs to sell her house. Um, and the son could sell the house for her if the son has an original power of attorney and then records it. Um, there's a lot that can be done. It's very, very, it's a lot, there's a lot of tools there that allow someone, actually someone is, takes the place. So the son actually signs mother's name by son, her power of attorney actually takes the place and walks in the footsteps of the mother so that the mother's transactions um, can be done. And that is definitely something that, you know, as we all will face uh, the ends of our, our lives and at that time, whether it's sudden or, or whether we have time to plan, uh, paying our bills and uh, signing contracts are probably things that are not as important as the to our quality of life, if we can empower somebody to do that for us and make that easier. And this is power of attorney sounds like a tool that really is, is the only way that we can do that. Is that correct? Is there any other way that family can step in and start paying bills if, if this isn't set up ahead of time? Well, you can always have a family trust that has um, other, the assets and then the, the family members can be successor trustees. And usually the successor trustee is the same person as the power of attorney and the same person as the executor. The downside and the thing that everyone needs to recognize about powers of attorneys is that they die with a person. They have absolutely no effect um, when the person's passed away. So the banks, if that, you know, when mom and son went to B of A or Tri-Counties, those banks will freeze those accounts if mom's name is on it with child as power of attorney. Um, if it's in a trust, the, tr the, the, the bank account will not be frozen and they basically get an, um, a death certificate and, and a copy of the trust with a certification of trust that says, I son am the successor trustee and I now am able to manage. I strongly recommend, I've seen so many bad things happen when people do it themselves. 
So tell me that when you say do it yourself, what, what does that mean? Do it yourself. So people should not do their own power of attorney. Oh, you mean like they, you can just download something from the, the you internet? You download something from the internet. You download a will. You notarize the will. You no longer have a valid will. I tell people, Lori, I would never drive on a car, in a car that I'm the mechanic of. Likewise, people should not rely on their own paperwork for the long-term estate planning because it's way too important. You, I, I just had a case in which they I had an argument with someone and they said, oh, tenants in common means has a right of survivorship. And I go, no, that's what a joint joint tenant does. And you severed the joint tenancy and now you have a probate. And what could have been a $200, you know, go to the attorney and get the correct deed, ended up being, oh gosh, it's running into $1,300 right now. And a probate is really expensive. So get your research done, talk to an attorney that does estate planning, elder law planning, um, and really get your information. So don't try and do it yourself because you can do it wrong and then your heirs will suffer. So Valerie, I know that this probably a very ignorant question, but what exactly does probate mean? Let's say our, our loved one passes away and their assets are now in probate. I don't know exactly what that means. So in order to start probate, you have to pay a $435 fee to the court, uh, about 360 to the union for publication. Then you have to pay, uh, it's, it's a lengthy time consuming process. And there are statutory fees to the attorney. So if an estate has one house worth 600,000 and a mortgage of 300,000, the probate value is 600,000 and there's attorney fees that are over and I'm making I'm not sure exactly what the amount is, but it's over 10,000 um, for attorney fees. And all of that could have been fixed with a having a living trust and um, getting your assets in a living trust. So if anyone owns real estate in California, um, they should have a living trust um, because you never know, you know, people say, well, I have everything in joint tenancy. And I say, I reply to that. Yeah, but you don't know who's going to pass first. And then you're carrying the burden of creating the, all this paperwork on the survivor who's might be in complete grief. And so also, do the things before you need to do them. And it sounds like also if the, the paperwork isn't in place, um, is it possible that the survival might not even be able to live in the home while a probate's going or would they be able to stay in their home? Um, I, I don't know. What, I don't I, know. I've it depends. Heard. I mean, I've had situations where the um, one person owns half and the other person owns the other half and then one person's half goes to their son who doesn't like the um, the spouse, and then you have a problem there. So yeah, you want to avoid problems by defining it and creating your um, creating your affairs how you want them to go. So you mentioned earlier that if we 
if we don't have a power of attorney and we do become incapacitated for whatever reason, that then the county gets involved wherever we live in California. And what is if there's no one involved? So if you have no one named, uh, and let's say you're a widower or a widow, and uh, you had had it set up to have your spouse as your power of attorney or on your advanced directive, and you didn't update that, um, then and, and you, you have you no kids. You have no kids. Then then what what happens? You know, I mean, you might have some caring friends, uh, neighbors, but um, there's no legitimate person. What happens? Uh, how how is that care for for someone? Well, if there's caring individuals, um, they can actually petition the court for conservatorship, as well as anyone nominated as a power of attorney or statutorily a spouse or children or brothers or sisters can actually go to the court and say, there's nothing set up. There's a, this person is in danger. Um, I need to manage this person. It's about a three week long process. And then the court, uh, actually it's probably longer now with COVID. It's probably a month and a half before you actually get a, um, in a, a hearing and then the conservatorship would be hopefully granted and then that person would manage as a conservator but that's another discussion <laughs> <laughs> well we have a, a few minutes left and so again we're talking about making our, our our quality of life and making our life easy as we face the end of life so what are the documents that we that you know make when you work with your clients that, that make it easier for them and for their loved ones? What are the documents we need to have in place? Everyone needs a will, an advanced health care directive, a power of attorney. And if they own real estate in California or own 100,000 or more in non-designated funds, a living trust. So some people can have more than 166,000 and then it's designated as power as pay on death or transfer on death, which happens um, automatically with the bank uh, when someone delivers a death certificate. But you should all have a healthcare directive because at some point um, we may need it and you want to have a reliable person making healthcare decisions. Everyone needs a power of attorney because we don't know what happens in the future and everyone needs a will or in or, and or a trust. So there's and, and a deed transferring the house into the trust. Um, those are the five documents I generally prepare for uh, individuals or couples. And is there a, a place, Valerie, that people can uh, go to online to learn more about these, I mean, if they just do a little research online on um, power of attorney and, and advanced directives, uh, is there some good information? I think a Google search, Advanced Healthcare Directive California, would be good. Um, what is a power of attorney in California? Um, but I really advise people, um, you know, how do you, um, there's a no low press becoming a trustee. Um, that provides some guidance, but I really recommend if you're talking about other people's money to hire an attorney 
Um, I've had situations where people say, oh, everything's fine. It's all family. And then a month later, oh, my niece isn't going to leave this. And she, you know, I mean, <laughs> things come up and you plan for the worst and you hope for the best. Well, that that is excellent uh, to think about. And it, we have like 20 more seconds. Is there any final uh, things you want listeners to remember? Last thoughts. Um, my website is www.goldenagelaw.com. People are happy to um, go look at my website. Um, you can see my horses. Um, <laughs> and be well. And reducing your stress is number one. And having things arranged will reduce your stress. Well, thank you so much, Valerie. Really appreciate you being with us. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank. I've been talking to elder law attorney Valerie Logston. You can tune in and listen to Embracing the Journey on the fourth Tuesday of each month at 6.30 p.m. Thank you to our engineer, Jeff Wright, and to Jeff Wright for our theme music and podcast. Thank you.